Good to see you, friends, and welcome to The World Transformed. This program is your guide to an astounding future that lies ahead, one that will be here sooner than you think, and one that you have an important role to play in bringing about. At The World Transformed, we want to introduce you to what may be the greatest transformation of them all, the one that begins with considering and acting on the almost limitless possibilities that lie before us and that ends somewhere beyond the reach of the human imagination. So, when does this amazing future begin? Well, today is the day. My name is Phil Bowermaster, and with me in the virtual studio is my co-author, co-futurist, and co-host, Stephen Gordon. Hello, Stephen. Hey, Phil. How are you? Well, I am super fantastic. Happy Monday. How are you, my friend? Man, I am doing great. Well, you know, y'all add a duper to the uh, super fantastic or something, because this is a special show, isn't it? Super duper fantastic. What do we say when, whenever we do a show that ends in two zeros, the number of which ends in two zeros, right? That's, uh, that, that, that's <laughs> some, pretty some amazing. Some form of centennial, right? It's, uh, that's uh, right. Here we are at the 600 show mark. Who would have guessed back in <laughs> 07, right? When we, or, well, actually, I guess 05, when we, when we first started doing yeah, it, that we'd, ever, that we'd ever get to 600 podcasts. And yet, <laughs> well, you know, at the rate we were doing them at the beginning, it, uh, you know, it would have taken like, I don't know, uh, 90 years probably to get. <laughs> to yeah, we would have truly spot. needed healthy life extension, I think, to hit that mark at the right. We were, we were, we were doing cranking out about, about one a month, month for a while. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that, that would have taken a while. It helps that we're doing three shows a week. That gets you to uh, the next increment of 100 a lot faster. Um, I don't pretend to be a math whiz or anything, but that's the way I see it, and I'm going to stick with that. It seems to, <laughs> it seems to work. Uh, yeah, the, that, <laughs> the, the rate, uh, you know, you increase your rate, the, uh, you also increase the number of episodes. Yeah, I mean, I, I will bow to anyone else who's got, you know, actual you figures it. to show on this, but it feels like we're getting to hundreds faster than we used to. I don't know. With three of I'm getting older, but, uh, but I mean, then, no, this, yeah. makes me, this makes me look forward to the big, the big three zero. Right, that's coming up. Yeah, we'll hit it uh, yeah, here in a few right. years. We'll, we'll hit a thousand at the rate we're do, we're going. We uh, we will hit our one thousandth episode. What do you think? Uh, well, again, hard math there, but uh, it, it it will happen. Uh, we're on our way. It, it so. should take about mm, about four years from now, right? So mm-hmm. call it twenty twenty one ish somewhere in there. We'll hit the we'll hit the one thousandth show again. Going at three new new shows a week. Now, if we if we down that, then that goes, you know, that estimate goes farther yeah. out. Obviously, if we up it, it, uh, it comes sooner. But this seems like it seems like we've kind of hit our stride with this, with this rate of shows. So assuming we assuming we stick with that, it'll be you know about 2021, we'll hit that 1,000th show, and somewhere in there, our 10th good show. So I mean, we got that. <laughs> so stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. That, you know. The, I'm kidding. They've all been fantastic. It's 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 really been fun doing this. And I thought what we would do tonight is we had a lot of topics lined up for potentially talking about this week. And what I've got is a list of topics long enough to make probably more than a week's worth of shows. And rather than trying to connect them all with a theme, my theme our theme tonight is the 600th show. The theme is, this is the kind of stuff we talk about on this show, and I think each one of these can tell you something about where we're going, and it can tell you something about the kinds of things that we'd like to talk about when we talk about the world transformed. So that's basically, that's, that's basically what I got 
for the for this show, Stephen. If if we can work our way no. through this list, we'll be doing great. Uh, I think it'll be the I, most I topics so. we've we, ever discussed in a half hour show. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna need to go quick. So let's get started with the first one, though. Yeah, no Morpheus, right? You can't talk like Morpheus in the uh, in in the Matrix movies. Yeah, <laughs> we got to move what would along. You say we told you that yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> that we have about. 15 topics. See, we're wasting time now. Listen to this. Okay. Here we go. Here's our first story. How the ancient method of loci can improve your long-term memory. This was over on Big Think, and I thought this was worth noting just because this is a great example of the fact that human augmentation has been going on forever. We haven't had the technology for it forever. We haven't had gene splicing and the the, the kinds of computer technology that we that we talk about enhancing the brain with that, that that exists today, but for as long as people have been people, as long as humans have wanted to have have had this urge to improve themselves, there have been hacks. There have been attempts to do so, and this is an ancient technique for improving your memory, which it turns out not only works to give you a much better memory if. If you take the discipline, it takes some time and a good deal of practice to develop this model in your in your mind, these these pictures in your mind that that allow for creating very long lists in your memory. But if you do it, it turns out when they scan your brain, your brain isn't any bigger than anybody else's, but it is connected differently. So this ancient technique developed back in, back in ancient times actually changes the structure of your brain. It really works. And people who have mastered this, when they scan their brains, their brains are wired up differently than people who haven't done it. And very interestingly, when you start teaching someone this and you scan their brain, you see them start to move in that direction. So it actually is a not just a mind hack, but a brain hack that people have been using for more than 2,500 years. Can you believe it? Well, I used it in law school and um, found it very useful. I found it very useful. You literally are building a, uh, some people call it a memory palace in your, in your head. Okay. You are you're saying, okay, this idea goes in this room and it's connected to this other room in this way uh, with, so that you're connecting ideas. It, it works. I can tell you that it works. Um, I got now, do idea. you still have it? Can you, can you, do, yeah, can yeah, you use can, that uh, method to learn anything? You can memorize any long list or whatever you need to do. I pretty much limited, uh, you know, the my memory palace to uh, uh, to what I learned in law school, and I and and I <laughs> I literally will you know, will go there when I need when I need to access some piece of information I hadn't thought about since law school, for example. Oh wow! Uh, so yeah, you rely and, on it regularly in your work, I guess. And I in my work, but when it comes to just you know, um, and, and it's something I probably should have continued uh, after that, uh, but. You know, because I'm I'm notoriously bad at remembering you know names and faces and things like that. Uh, when when it comes to uh, um, you know how how someone had a, had their accident and things like that, I remember that to a T. But <laughs> my my staff knows to introduce the client to me, even though I've met them three or four times. You know, <laughs> it's just the way it is. I don't know. And uh, but uh, you need a new a- uh, room in the attic, right? For that, right? I guess so. For for names and faces, perhaps I'm. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a an issue I probably need to to deal with. But you know, I got the idea. It's funny enough. I got the idea of reading one of the Hannibal Lecter 
Lecter books. Hannibal Lecter, the uh, you know the notorious cannibal, right? The fictional. Sure. Uh, had that. He did that, and um, and I think it was in the book Hannibal. And I said, wow, that's you know, I, I, that, there may be something to that. And so after I read that novel, um, I, uh, I I researched it just a little bit, and yeah, that's a real thing. And I be- and so I began doing that once I entered law school, and it helped. I really really found that for categorizing a huge amount of information and making it to where it relates to one another and therefore is use- usable, right? I mean, to do st- you know to you know you can recall it when you need to, and uh, and you know all the relationships with the other areas uh, and other pieces of information. It can't be beat. It's uh. Uh, and and uh, oh, and and Sam, I heard about Hannibal Lecter. You know, he was a very successful serial killer. So yeah, that's right. So he, emulate he remembered what he needed to do to do his job, right? As a lawyer, <laughs> you know, I sure know the whole thing. That's right. Sense. There you go. It, <laughs> well, it, it, and it works this, this technique was used by also by uh, a particular uh, prisoner back in Vietnam. He 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 built his house. That's how he stayed sane. He was uh, he was like in uh, solitary for years, apparently. He stayed sane by building a house in his mind. Now, this was not to uh, store ideas. This was to have a house. When he got home, he literally built that house. He, he stumped, brick by brick, he had it built in his head. Wow. And, you know, with plumbing, electric, electrical, everything. And then he got home and did it when he got home. And, uh, he, you know, that was, that was how he stayed sane during those, the, those long years in, in solitary. And um, I, for a lot of reasons, it's just a cool thing. This goes uh, to show you, with, with, without drugs, without DNA engineering, without electronics wired in, you can do amazing things just with, the, just with the brain you have. But we must move on. We've got so many of these. How about this? Was this, was this a hyped story? Because we led up to this all week, and then... Finally, the announcement was made. NASA announces one of Saturn's moons could support alien life in our solar system. What do you think? Um, I don't think it's, it, I don't really think that's overhyped. I, I think that it could support alien life. That's the key. You know, you don't. They're not saying it's we found alien life. They're saying uh, it has the necessary ingredients, and it's true. There's liquid water. There's an energy source in the form of chemical energy, and. Um, yeah, uh, and apparently the thing is, there's, mo- a- there's molecular hydrogen, which could only that we know of plausibly have come from hydrothermal reactions between hot rocks and water. So you've got heat and you got water working together on a surface, and suddenly you combine those two things, and it's the best potential environment for life in the solar system, not counting Earth. It's the second best yeah. place to look for life. And we know there's life on Earth, obviously, because we're the ones looking. But suddenly Enceladus, this, this moon of Saturn, moves to first place as, as being the Yeah, it shoots right past Europa target. and Titan and, yeah. uh, and the, other, you know, the other spots that we, we thought. Because you know, whenever we, this subject came up in the past, Phil, we'd always talk about Europa or Titan. This, yep. this moon is now, now the spot to look. So that's, that's pretty cool. Absolutely. It's an amazing it's an amazing story. I was hoping for more when they said you know the 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 headlines leading up to a big announcement from NASA about life in the solar system. I felt like okay, they found a picture with a ruined temple on Mars or something like that. You know, just, <laughs> yeah, something big. Well, it's not <laughs> you quite. know, we've we've we, you know, there are fish 
on Jupiter, and here's some pictures. They're flying around on Jupiter. They're really big fish, but but this is still big. In the upper atmosphere of Jupiter. Here's, here's. <laughs> yeah, even though our imaginations tend to run, away, run wild when we read those kinds of headlines, don't let that fool you. This is a big story, and it, it makes me think, well, how soon are we going to send something there? We need to get something down there on Enceladus looking around and, and seeing what we can see. And it, it also is a great announcement to come right here at the end of Cassini's term. Cassini has just been this unbelievably wonderful mission for, for NASA in, in terms of what it's revealed about Saturn, what it's revealed about the moons of Saturn, and what it's finally going to tell us about Saturn's atmosphere as it makes this final plunge into the, into the, into the atmosphere of Saturn here uh, before too long um, and burns itself up. That's gonna be, we're we're going to learn a lot more in its, in its final moments. Uh, just, I guess it makes me eager for the next Cassini, which I hope comes soon. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, this is, next one's pretty interesting, Phil. Uh, engineers just submitted an incredible proposal to turn the U.S. border wall into a Hyperloop. That's, yeah, that's we're, we're going to be talking a lot more about Hyperloop later this week. But I thought but, this, this, was, this was a good story just to bring up the fact that we do have a $5 challenge going when someone mentions a certain name that I haven't mentioned. Yeah. So, and, and you, you owe me five bucks, but okay, I'll go ahead. Um, you know, President Trump, ding, 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 has talked about building this, <laughs> this wall on <laughs> the U.S.-Mexican border. And, well, here's a thought. You know, instead of a wall, let's, let's build a Hyperloop. Um, what's interesting about this, Michael Darling pointed out in the comments on Facebook, you know, you actually are connecting one set of beachfront property with another with this, so it's not, it's not completely insane from a standpoint of of two you know two potential destinations with a high speed train connecting them it it's it's one it's one good place to do it all that infrastructure would be useful for lots of other things in addition to in addition to the train itself which is great part, part of which would be actually creating this kind of barrier between the two countries and i thought this kind of plays into an idea that scott adams brought out back during the presidential campaign which is that the wall quote unquote between the U.S. and Mexico might be more of a joint economic development zone. You know, what a great project yeah. for, the, for the U.S. and Mexico to work on building this high-speed train that runs along the, the border between their two countries. And if it provides other benefits besides securing the border, that's awesome. And this obviously would, in addition to being a huge proof of concept for, for Hyperloop. Well, politically, it, uh, it has the advantage of uh, perhaps being palatable uh, to both parties. I mean, you know, uh, Republicans seem to want the wall, and uh, Democrats love trains, right? Uh, so <laughs> well, who doesn't love together. trains? I mean, come on. Yeah, well, uh, you know, uh, uh, public transportation's uh, always uh, sort of been a something that Democrats are probably more in favor of than Republicans. But uh, mm. you, you know, you, you know, you've got your peanut on my. You know, the, uh, we got to put them together. You know, maybe it works together somehow. So, here's here's my issue with it: is that our border is not a straight line between uh, Mexico and the U.S. And you and you tend to want when you want to build a long route, you probably would want to do it in a straight. Um, so you know, while you could connect uh, the hyperloop and the wall at several points, the, it seems like uh, it would probably be better to. Uh, 
I don't know, to have have straighter lines uh, for purposes of the hyperloop. But, you know, uh, they, they can uh, engineer something. Yeah, I don't know. The the diagrams from the story show this co- kind of combination of straight segments and these gentle curving segments, which you're saying wouldn't work right. from, from a Hyperloop standpoint. Well, I don't know. They seem they seem to think they would, but um, right. we'll, we'll, we'll have to leave maybe sorting uh, that I, out I, for another I'm day. Not hyper, I'm not a Hyperloop engineer. No, uh, maybe, uh, maybe I can figure out ways to make that work. So. Yeah, perhaps it would work. What I like about this story is it just goes to show that there are creative solutions to problems that we haven't thought about. That technology, especially new technologies, give us the ability to look at problems in ways that we haven't looked at them before. And when you combine two ideas, the, the old Matt Ridley you know, notion of ideas having sex, you come up with completely new ideas. And what I like about this is it's just completely out of the blue, but it's got a lot of appeal. As you mentioned, it's got a lot of appeal to both sides. And you know, if it if it moved along the discussion towards Hyperloop and settled this this border issue at the same time, provide you know provide some relief to us as a country from this from the tension around that issue, that would be awesome. Anyway, I, I think just having yeah. the idea out there kind of uh, provides some of that relief. So I'm pretty psyched about that. Oh yeah, maybe story. so. And I've also heard uh, perhaps uh, making the wall a you know a solar panel as well uh, to to add solar to the wall. Uh, you know uh, that that would you know perhaps that would uh, help help the parties come together on something. Well, again, if you do if you do an economic right. development district, you just put all your projects there. Right? Hey, every fun thing you yeah. want to try, you just put it down there in the the wall region. Create a lot of jobs. Uh, everybody makes a lot of money. Everybody's happy. Okay, moving on. How about this? Moving Speaking on. of people being happy, inmates built computers hidden in ceiling, connected them to prison network. Speaking of ingenuity. <laughs> Um, oh, Ohio prisons uh, lack supervision was akin to an episode from Hogan's Heroes. For some reason, this reminded me less of Hogan's Heroes than it did kind of a almost a sort of a count of Monte Cristo thing. You know, yeah, yeah. These hackers were very clever. You know, they want they wanted internet connectivity. They want they wanted to they wanted to be able to do stuff online. So ah, they built their own computer and they found out where the where the connections were, and they got themselves hacked into it. And I don't recall reading how, how they exactly were found out. Obviously, there should have been pretty straightforward ways to find out that someone's hacking into your network on on the prison. But um, I just they like that. They may have been found out just by the, you know, <laughs> the wires or whatever, you know, the, the, mm-hmm. the physical things we did to uh, to, to – to build a computer and uh, to connect it. That's, that's fascinating that they were able to do that. And, uh, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, uh, props, I guess, for, uh, uh, for, for being, uh, for being smart there. Um, you know, makes me wonder what exactly they were wanting to do on the internet, whether it were, you know, were, um, you know, were they, uh, trying to hack into the prison network so they could, uh, okay, it looks like, uh, Looks like uh, your parole is coming a, a month sooner, you know, Phil. Um, and Stephen, you get uh, you get extra mashed potatoes with your meal this week. I mean, what exactly were they doing uh, in the prison network exactly? I, 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 that's that's interesting. Yeah, it is absolutely. Well, I, you know, my, my my understanding is that they wanted to get on Netflix and watch the Shawshank Redemption, but I could be wrong. I'm, I'm not. <laughs> and and uh, learn learn about how to 
to be out of there, right? <laughs> take some um, inspiration from uh, take some inspiration <laughs> from that story. It, it does it does kind of show. You know, we talk about how Wi-Fi is a basic human need anymore, and these prisoners have kind of demonstrated yeah. that. You think of all the of all so. the bootleg and counterfeit stuff that goes on in prisons these days. Getting into the getting in onto the computer network isn't one I would have thought of. Um, and yet, I, I, I read a kind of I read a kind of sad story about uh, prisoners coming out after being in for like ten plus years, and how they're completely not ready for the world when they get out. Mm. They don't. Uh, it, it was a different world when they went in. Um, and uh, as far as technology goes, and, and you know, being able to get a job or anything. And uh, uh, obviously, that doesn't apply to all prisoners because these guys, uh, you know, obviously. Uh, do some stuff. So at least uh, at least the one or two of them that were involved in that project. So, anyway, interesting. Interesting stuff. How about this story? Physicists say they've created a fluid with negative mass. I love the subheading on this one. Holy crap! This was over on Science <laughs> Alert, and that kind of that kind of sums it up. We, we we talk about exotic materials science, but this is this is pushing the envelope of that. If if they've done what they what they claim to have done, we're we're getting into we're getting into a weird area here. This is a substance where if yeah. you push on it, it goes the other way because it has a negative mass. It's it's almost hard like to get your flubber. head around how that could possibly work. <laughs> Sounds like flubber. You you put some of this in your in your car and uh, and you float away, right? Um, because uh, you're you're not uh, if you have negative mass you're you're not you're not at- attracted towards gravity you'd be you'd be pushing away from gravity that's interesting right so. now you know when you read the headline you picture they've got a vat of the stuff and somebody's taking a broom or something a ladle and they're pushing on it and it's going the other way of course this is all happening in a very rarefied environment and 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 we're talking about right. applying a few lasers to a few sets of atoms that is is what's is what's really happening but but recording the results of doing that is showing exactly what exactly what we're describing. It's a very preliminary result, and they've got a long way to go before they're 100% sure that this is what they've done. But if they have done it, all kinds of potential implications for this. Uh, the, the you know the That's most straightforward of which is hey, so this negative mass thing really exists. That's a real thing in the universe, which we wouldn't have known before this, and turns out it is. That's pretty pretty great. Uh, I wonder if there's any re- any relation or, or uh, overlap with the uh, concept of negative energy, which is n- necessary, Phil, for the uh, warp drive that uh, you know we keep hearing about. So uh, um, I don't know. I'll have to At the very it. least, you've got to say, if negative mass exists, you can't rule out negative energy. Perhaps, perhaps not. Perhaps not. <laughs> it certainly doesn't disprove negative it's energy. Both pretty weird. Yeah. Yeah. And what I've just demonstrated is what's not called what you feel on Monday morning. <laughs> what I've just demonstrated is what's called creativity, which will be the source of our next industrial revolution, according to the next story, which is over on Quartz Media. Uh, this is this is a nice breakdown of how we've gotten to where we are, and you know I don't want to get into the specifics of this story because we're almost we're going to run out of time before we run out of stories here, but we're seeing a lot more of this kind of analysis. And we've got a couple more stories that kind of touch on this. Just trying to figure out exactly where we are and what's going to happen next. And, and I think this this breakdown of human creativity is going to become a much more important factor that the economy is going to be driven a lot more by it is true. We've talked about it's, it's true 
in part because we're just we're capable of doing so much more. The machines are capable of doing so much more. And what do we have to add to it? Well, what we have to add to it is our ideas and our ability to kind of knit ideas together as we were looking at in the in the previous example. So I, I think it's I think it's probably true. Creativity is uh, it's a big deal in terms of where we go next in in the world. I kind of had a snarky comment when you posted this Facebook uh, earlier in the week. Uh, Phil, uh, can creativity be the source of our next industrial revolution, not machines? And I said, yeah, creativity and machines. <laughs> well, yeah. You've you got to yeah, take I, the machines I, as a given. You know, it's, um, yeah. it's, it's, it's not that the machines won't, won't, be, the, won't be involved. Uh, they just right. won't be the... They won't be the driver of this part of it, but you're right. Obviously, without the machines, we're not doing any of it. Uh, similar story over on Business Insider, Ray Kurzweil. Our brains are wired to predict the future, but it might be holding us back. And this is something that Ray has discussed on this very show uh, sometime, some time ago. The fact that although we are wired to predict the future, in fact, it's been said that intelligence actually is this ability to make predictions about the future, we do it geometrically, not exponentially. So we've got a future that's arriving exponentially. Our ability to predict is based on a, um, a, a geometric progression through, through change. So until we get our head around exponential thinking, we're, we're going to be in a position of not grasping how fast the future is coming at us. And I think you can kind of combine these last the, the story we just looked at in this one. Creativity and our ability to encompass the, the whole big picture. You've got to have both in order for us to, to really see what's going to happen next. Also, here's, here's proof of the machines, Stephen. Google AI just beat human pathologists at detecting cancer. What do you think of that? Well, I think, I think it's great. You heard it here first, uh, I think. Huh? It's pretty much yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, it's... It, and I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. It's just so much information is involved in a very, very difficult problem. I'm not surprised that machines can outpace us on something like that. Just being able to know all – you can have these AIs read all the papers, know exactly the state of the art and what the research is telling us, and then apply that to each individual patient that's put in front of it. And, yeah, there's no doctor that can do that. Um, you know, and have a life of any sort, right, outside the hospital. So um, I, uh, I think that that's a, a, a fantastic thing and not, not surprised and, that it, uh, and maybe a little bit surprised it happened this soon. I was, you know, uh, thinking maybe it might be another couple, three years down the road, but, hey, this is, you know, already hit, hit this milestone. That's, that's yeah, and, and it plays huge into this next story, which is one we were meaning to talk about last week we didn't get to, this research that shows that a second opinion from doctor nets different diagnosis 88% of the time. Right. So with, with what you get from a human doctor being that variable, you can see where AI might have some improvements to, to provide. Uh, you know, right. And it's, it's, it's no smear on doctors that this happens. It, it, yeah. just, it just goes to show you that the body of knowledge they're dealing with and the approach that one so human can, so yeah, can, yeah. Can, can possibly make is, is going to is – going this is the gap right here. This 88% second opinion diagnosis difference, I think, is the gap that AI is uniquely positioned to fill. This is why medical care will actually get better, and this is why doctors will be better at their jobs, I think, in the near future, and it'll be, 
It'll be thanks to AI. Oh my gosh, Stephen, how are we going to get through all these stories? The next one, Seven Steps for Inventing the Future over on Forbes. I just, this one interests me because we did a show about a seven-step process for creating the future quite a while back. And we use, actually, we'll be playing it on Best Of here before too long. It was, it was a seven-step process based on the Apollo program. What I liked about it is the steps are completely different in this outline, but it just goes to show you that if you're, if you're serious about getting there, if you're serious about getting in the future, you need a process. And for whatever reason, seven is just a great number of steps to use. So I'm going to link this, and I'll also link the, the original show that we did. And hey, listen for yourselves, folks. You can decide. I think clearly ours is pretty well, good. And uh, on Wednesday's show, we're going to be talking about uh, several steps that one individual is taking to uh, bring us the future. So, you know. There you go. Um, there you go. So very, very right, uh, specific. Next, next one quickly. Uh, second uh, anti-aging pill that extends lifespans by uh, by a quarter heads to human trials. Phil, that's big. De- that's a big deal for us. We're uh, we're, we're middle-aged guys, right? So uh, hey, we, we want to <laughs> anything that extends lifespan is uh, of uh, uh, you know I, I think of interest to anybody. But uh, but us. Well, I think you know when was it? Five years ago, you said within five years the first trials will be taking place of actual anti-aging yeah. treatments and right. ta-da here's the second one okay so Stephen, you're right twice okay and I, I can't wait till we see four or five of these going at once how wonderful not only has this become something that medical research is actually delving into they're del- it's not just one group it's not just it's not just one crank out, out there trying to trying to make this happen this is something that yeah. is gaining increased interest and you know the fact that there's two of them indicates to me that there will be more and of course the more people working on it the more likely we are to get to an actual solution uh, likewise over on Newsweek quantum computing is going commercial with the potential to disrupt everything well, we've done a couple of whole shows about this recently and I there's not much more to say except we've talked about the fact that Google, Microsoft, and IBM are all talking about going commercial with quantum computing and putting real business models in place for how this is going to be made available. If you're worried about Moore's Law, if you're worried about losing computing power, it looks to me like we're on the brink of a computing revolution that's going to make the original computing revolution look kind of small by comparison. And it's going to be happening very soon. So. Stay tuned over our next 400 shows leading to 1,000. I bet we'll have a lot more to say about quantum computing. All right. Where's that love drugs. <laughs> We've got love drugs coming up next. We'll soon be a reality, but should we take them? Now, Phil, I, I presume we're not talking about Viagra. I think uh, what we're talking about is something different here, correct? <laughs> no, we're not. We're not talking about We're, we're talking about these, this is a drug that actually makes two people who want to feel love towards each other, it, it enhances that experience. Um, this, is, this is something we've talked about a lot in the past in, in terms of what does it mean when we look to the future of humanity being able to hack its own experiences right down to the emotions. What if you take emotions out? What if you add them in? If there's a happy pill and you make yourself happy all the time, if there's a this is a very interesting one. If there's a love drug and you and you make it so that you're more committed to a particular person, or I was thinking about this, I was reading it. Hey, what if you're not in a relationship at all and you take this, right? Where yeah. where does that you just you love deep? everybody? Are you, I mean, yeah, or do you, you know fall in love it, with the next? Would it also be an would it also you know be an empathy drug to where you you know just uh, you're able to uh, 
you know, just um, uh, be a better person to everybody because of it? I don't know. Interesting that that would go – we need some human trials on that, right? Yes, absolutely. I, I, I want to see. I want to see where this goes, but definitely there is a pharmacological component to how we're going to be feeling about the world in the future, and there's a lot of potential for things really improving. Because hey, you know, if you can have more love in your life, that sounds great. But obviously, a lot of potential for that to go wonky in a in a lot of uh, in a lot of potential ways. Yeah. But but it leads me to this last story. Transhumanism is just fancy sex shaming and self-loathing. Um, interesting that this was over at the Federalist, which is not a transhumanist site, not an accelerating future site, and just you know, really wrong from the, from the get-go. Some really interesting criticisms of transhuman thinking in there and pointing out some of the kinds of dangers that, that we're talking about potentially these, these kinds of drugs might bring about, in addition to just the dangers associated with enhancing people. But we're going to have to understand these issues a lot better. And I think immediately labeling it as sex-shaming, self-loathing, that's not true. You know, I, 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 think that, um, I think that we're about, as people talk about the future more, there's going to be a lot more, I, I won't say fake news, there's going to be a lot more varying opinion about what it all means. And you're going to need a good source of information to help you sort this all out, folks. So I'm happy to tell you that we're going to be right here, starting with show 601, helping you sort through these issues. Well, this has been a great 600 show, so and I uh, like, you know, uh, hey, we went a little long. 600. Yeah, I, but we needed to. This is, uh, uh, you know, you know we still got three more topics than we've ever gotten through, I think, even in an hour show, much less a uh, much less a 30-minute <laughs> show. So great talking with you, Stephen. Hey, great being with you all. We're going to be back with show 601. As Stephen, as you said, uh, talking through a very specific scenario for the future, talking about what Elon Musk might have in, mind, have in store for us on Mars on Wednesday. Look forward to being with you all. And until next time, live to see it. <laughs> 